This is episode 76 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today we'll be talking about Facing Pain with Courage, episode 4, with Joe Patterson. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey Christian Travelers, I am so excited for you to be back. This whole last month, we have been hearing from Joe Patterson telling an insanely crazy story of adventures he had in South Dakota, facing the elements, facing um, passing out in the snow, and so much more. Uh, But we are going to get to finally hear how the story ends and how things kind of wrap up for him. Um, If you haven't, I would encourage you to start back at episode 73 just to hear the whole story. It's incredible. Um, But before I dive into that, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources. We will start booking trips soon. Uh, I know with COVID, there's some current some concerns that surround that and so uh, in the future I'll get to tell you more about that information but um, right now I just want to uh, encourage you to subscribe to our email list to get information about that info about our latest podcast episodes and of course our travel devotions you can also find links to our Facebook group which is incredibly active along with Instagram and Pinterest uh, but without further ado, let us, let's turn our ears and our hearts over to Joe as we find him out in the cold wilderness, uh, uncertain if he will survive. And it took every ounce of strength I had left just to get back on my feet. Uh, and I, I felt unsteady, and I don't know what my temperature was, but my fever is just insane at this point. And I, I feel terrible. And... In that moment, I, I had this very clear realization. I might die out here tonight. Like, at that point, there was no point in sugarcoating it for myself anymore. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is real. Like, this is for real. There is a very good chance I'm not getting out of this alive. Did you have any cell service at all? No. I had checked it a few different times uh, because the first time that I blacked out and Griffin woke me back up and I really realized I'm in a survival situation, at that point I got out my phone because it was like, okay, if this gets really bad, I'm going to need to call for help. And I checked it then and I, I didn't have cell service. And on top of that, the cold was sapping my battery so fast. Mm. Um, And so I had turned my phone back off uh, and I had checked it, I think one more time um, between then and and still no service. Um, And I mean, it's the black Hills. So even sometimes in towns and places, it's tough to get service definitely out there in the wilderness. It's totally hit or miss. Uh, And so I had turned my phone back off and I, I figured, you know, maybe there's the slightest chance I could get service somewhere and have enough battery to make a call. But in this moment, it wasn't even on my mind anymore. Um, You know, in the book, I I use this phrase. uh, It felt like 
the universe shrank around me. It felt like everything outside of the Black Hills just ceased to exist, you know, outside of the the forest that I was in that night. Uh, me and Griffin were the only people left alive, you know, all the people that, that I knew, all the people from my world outside of this just were gone. You know, my wife, my family, my friends, it just, everything shrank and it was just us. It was just me and Griffin there. And I remember kind of looking at my phone in that moment, you know, turned off and, and probably dead for all I knew and thinking like, this is almost some alien artifact, <laughs> you know, like what even is this thing? It doesn't make sense here. <laughs> Uh, you know, and in that moment, it was like, I realized something. It's like, this is what I came here to do. You know, this isn't an unfortunate incident on this trip that I had planned. This is what I came here to do. You know, if I, you know, if I can't prove to myself in this moment that I've got what it takes, then nothing else means anything you know like this is it it's literally do or die uh and so in that moment i i had this very clear realization that i might die i might die tonight i might not make it out of here uh and then in that moment you know it, it it's so weird because that's that's the first time in my entire life that I had ever actually come truly face to face with death, with the possibility of actually dying. And my whole life didn't flash before my eyes or anything like that. Uh, at first, you know, it was like, okay, it's sad, you know, like, I don't want to think about what my wife is going to feel like, like, if I don't come back and then worrying about me and then finding out what's happened and, you know, having to deal with that, you know, like I wish I could have said goodbye to my family. And that was kind of the initial reaction. And then what followed that was like, okay, yeah, that is truly unfortunate and sad, but I can't do anything about it now. And then I just got this sense of peace. It's hard to, explain it or, or quantify it, but I, I felt very peaceful. And and I guess I accepted the fact that if I die out here, I die out here. But what I couldn't accept was dying right there. <laughs> if that makes any sense. You know, I, I I made my peace with if I don't make it out, then I'm okay with that. But what I couldn't make peace with was giving up. Mm. And in that moment, I decided, okay, I might die tonight and I'm okay with that. But if I do, it's not going to be right here. And in that moment, I, I, I promised myself that I was like, okay, I might die. I might collapse, not be able to get back up and that'll be it. But it's not going to be right where I'm standing. It might be two feet from here. It might be a mile from here, but it's not going to be right here. And that kind of became my mantra, what I kept telling myself. 
is that, you know, okay, it's not going to be here. I still have a little left in the tank. It might be fumes, but there's something. And I remember I've read about this phenomenon that mountain climbers on Everest experience where the exhaustion and everything and the altitude reduces them to the pace of two steps and a rest and then two steps and a rest. And they call it the Everest shuffle. And that was about what I was doing. I, I was taking a step or two and then resting a step or two and then resting. And that's about all I could handle. And I wasn't sure how much time had gone by. I wasn't sure how far I had gone or how far I had left to go. And in a very real sense, all those things stopped mattering. Uh, you know, in my head space at the time, they were just very simple equations. I'm not done yet, so it doesn't matter how far I have left to go because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just had to try to keep going. And I knew, uh, you know, because at parts it was still very hard to tell where the trail was, and I, I wasn't sure, you know, the lower I got in altitude, the more things kind of opened up. And while that did make it a little bit easier for the actual hiking, it made it harder to tell if I was still on the trail or not, because I would come to crossroads where the trail forked two different ways. I would cross other paths like old forest access roads and game trails. And it kind of was like a maze, honestly. And it, and I hadn't seen a tree with a nine in a while And so I honestly had no idea if I was still on the right trail at that point. How I was navigating was I knew that there was a highway. It was the highway I had driven in on that goes east to west between Keystone and Hill City. And so as long as I was headed in the general direction of north, then even if I wasn't on the trail anymore, at some point I would hit that highway. Mm -hmm. There was no way for me to miss it if I was going north. So I was checking my compass somewhat frequently. And as long as I was headed in the general direction of North, I, I wasn't trying to worry about it too much. Um, so I was like, I'm going to hit that highway and have a chance, you know, at, at the very least. And so I just kept going probably for at least another 45 minutes like that. Um, you know, thankfully didn't have to throw up or fall over or anything like that again. <laughs> Um, but I'm just going like a, a step at a time and absolutely miserable while doing it. And Griffin is kind of setting the pace. He's, he's staying probably about, you know, three, four feet in front of me. And we're just kind of making time like that. Uh, and we're, we're, when we're in the wilderness like that, I don't have him on a leash or anything. Uh, he actually works with me way better off leash than on. He's not much of a leash guy <laughs> and uh, I don't like keeping him on the leash, but he's, he's very well trained. And one of the, the commands that he is kind of, you know, he kind of developed through going camping and stuff was sometimes when we were on a trail or just when we're hiking through the woods, I would tell him to wait and wait means stop where you are, wait for me to catch up to you. And then I'll tell you when it's okay to go again. Um, and so I just kind of use that, like if we're coming up on a cliff or something like that, or, or somewhere where I just want to get a little closer to him and check things out. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of how I just manage him in the wilderness, but I, you know, try not to micromanage him. I try to let him be himself and, and it's a really cool thing to watch him just kind of be in his element. 
And so he's hiking, you know, in front of me and, and we're kind of making time and we come around this little bend in the trail and the trail kind of starts to climb up and I'm keeping my head down and my headlamp where my feet are. So I wasn't really looking ahead and, you know, it's been quiet, like, like deadly quiet, you know, forever. I mean, nothing's making noise out here. And all of a sudden I just, the world just explodes with noise <laughs> and I wasn't sure what it was at first. And then I realized it's Griffin and he is snarling like I've never heard at something that's ahead of us on the trail. Uh, and and I, I see him first thing as I look up in my headlamp and he's he's crouched on the trail. And I mean, the, you know, people who know Griffin, I mean, he's a teddy bear. He's like the sweetest, most gentle German shepherd ever. He thinks he's a lap dog. Um, you know, he's scared of babies. Uh, you know, he's he's very gentle. And I hardly recognized him. I mean, he's he's crouched, his his hackles are up, you know, he's his hair is standing up along his back, and he's got, you know, his lips pulled back and his teeth are bared, and he he just looks savage. And he's snarling and snapping at something that is ahead of us. And I look further up, and in the light of my headlamp, I see two pairs of big green eyes. And then I can sort of start to see the shapes behind them. And then as soon as I hit them with the beam of light from my headlamp, they crouch down. And that's when it hit me. These are mountain lions. Oh, my gosh. And in that moment is just my heart stopped and all of a sudden like i you know this tornado of thoughts is just ripping through my mind like what on earth why are there two uh what do i do you know and and i didn't have time to to think any further past that because all of a sudden griffin charges and he's tearing up the trail towards these mountain lions. And the only thing that comes to my mind in that moment is his weight command. And I just scream with everything I have, wait. And by a miracle, he stopped. And he was, he was almost kind of like halfway between me and the lions and he stops and he's still snarling and snapping and they haven't moved at all. And and he stops and and I keep telling him like wait 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 and in that moment I I had a knife that was in my belt and then I had a tomahawk that I carried. And I was able to get my tomahawk out and I was able to drop my pack. And even in that situation I remember just this incredible feeling of weightlessness almost like I felt like I was going to shoot up off the ground when that weight came off my back it was kind of hard to manage even in that situation and I get my knife and my tomahawk out and I kind of inch closer to Griffin just so I can try to keep him with me and at that point I'm so weak I can barely stand up and, and hold on to my weapons I don't think I'm going to do anything here you know, 
I'm just going to try to basically the way I thought of, of about it was I'm going to try to give a good account of myself and convince these things. I'm not a good dinner option. If that's what they feel like doing, that's about all I can hope for here. And I get about up to where Griffin is and he's snarling and growling at them and they're just sitting there watching us. And it felt like that moment lasted for an hour in reality, this whole thing probably took five seconds. Uh, and all of a sudden, they just whip around and they vanish. I mean, they they took off into the trees on the side of the trail. And it was, it was unreal how quiet they moved. I mean, I, I've never, I've never seen anything like it because I, I could tell they were moving fast just because I saw how fast they bolted off the trail. And then I could hear like very small twig snaps or noises to kind of give me an idea of how quickly they were moving. And they were moving with incredible speed, but so quiet. I mean, it was, it was really, it was awe inspiring as it was scary, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and Griffin just sat there and he growled and he whined because he wanted to go after them and and I was, you know, making him stay with me and I, I remember just, I I kneeled down and I put my arm around him as soon as I could and I felt like it was safe and just held him there, and and he's kind of growling and whining and he's upset and and I just stayed there with my arm around him for a second on the trail and I just was shaking like a leaf, and at that point you know it was like what else is going to get thrown at me? <laughs> you know, like I felt like at this point, I've just been through this gauntlet of the worst experiences that the wilderness could serve up. And it's like, what else could possibly happen? Uh, and it, you know, I waited there for what felt like a long, long time before I felt safe to like get my backpack back on and stuff. And then it, I just got it back on. I, I kept trudging and, and I was like, I, you know, back to walking, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, it was, you know, at that point, it was just all that was left was to walk. That's all that I can. That's all that I can really describe it as. All that was left was to to walk until I was done. That was it. And the crazy thing was, it was probably. 15 to 20 minutes after that I'm coming around another bend in the trail and the it starts to descend a little bit it kind of starts to go down and I look ahead on the trail and I see another flash of light like another reflection in my headlamp and instantly I start yelling for Griffin and I start reaching for my tomahawk again when I realize no 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 hang on that's not like eyes that's a reflector. And it was the reflector from the taillights of my car. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's when I realized somehow I am still on the right trail and I made it out. Uh, and I had made it back to my car. And uh, that was the most profound feeling of relief I've ever experienced. Uh getting back to the car, getting my stuff off, you know, having Griffin hop up in the back and take a very well-earned rest. 
and I, I was still sick as a dog. Um, and, and by that point, I, I don't remember about what time it was exactly off the top of my head. Um, it had been six to seven hours since I first blacked out at that deadfall. Oh. Um, and I still had about a three hour drive home. But at that point in the ordeal, like it didn't even occur to me to try like sleeping in the car or something like that. It was just like, I need to get home. Um, and so I started driving. I was still really sick. Um, (laughs) I wound up, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to me. You know, I've told people if the high point of my trip was summoning blackout peak, the low point was puking my guts out in a gutter in Keystone. (laughs) That's kind of how I, I, uh, tied a bow on that trip (laughs) um and it took forever it was a rough drive uh one of my rougher drives because i was exhausted i was sick as a dog um but i think i got home sometime between three and four in the morning and basically just fell into bed um i was so messed up from that trip i was pretty much unable to get out of bed for two to three days after that um, and that was that. Uh, but I remember kind of the last, the last thing that happened before I fell asleep when I got home that night, um, was number one, I, I, I kept my promise to Griffin that I had made when I realized things were getting really bad, that I was going to get him out of there and I was going to get him home. And then one of the most haunting parts of of the whole experience you know the whole year before this was you know like i said i i had nightmares about my previous experience it was the last thing i thought about before i went to bed every single night and this was the first night when i got back home you know even though i'm sick and i'm miserable i remember i laid down in bed and i looked up at the ceiling and i just smiled because it was over and I knew I wasn't going to be haunted by this experience anymore. And so, yeah, that's kind of that, uh, that whole story. Um, I did wind up actually going back to the cabin. Um, and that was kind of a cool story in and of itself, but it, it really wasn't as a part of, you know, this huge adventure. Um, I wound up getting connected to our old family friend who still owns the cabin. Um, and so I actually got to go stay there and I got to read the cabin diaries. I got to read my mom's handwriting when she was in college. Um, I got to read the entry that mom and dad wrote when they were on their honeymoon. Um, and that was really, it was powerful. It was cathartic. It was, it was heartbreaking. Uh, and it was a really special experience, uh, to get to go there again and see it. Um, but that did happen eventually. So how did your wife react when you got home at three or four in the morning? (laughs) Um, I think she was sleepy. So, uh, you know, she didn't quite comprehend the scope of everything that had gone on, you know, because I hadn't obviously been able to communicate that with everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, She's kind of like, you're home early and (laughs) you don't look so good. Uh, (laughs) You know, and and I had called her um, when I had gotten out of, um, you know, out of there and back to service. I called her to let her know I was coming home. Um, 
so yeah she was definitely a little a little freaked out i think uh but at the same time just very relieved that i made it home safe yeah that is one crazy story and god definitely got you through a lot in that journey yeah Yeah. amen to that goodness well um I normally ask people what their biggest God moment is in all of their travels, and I'm going to guess that this has been your biggest God moment. Yeah, definitely one of them. Um, I think I've been very blessed in that aspect um, to where basically I I look at it like this. That trip and and all the experiences around it kind of had to do with the pain of my past and resolving those things that, you know, were back there that I hadn't dealt with. Um, Several years later, I would go on another trip to a very different place, um, but wind up basically in an equally tight spot um, and have another near-death experience through which God taught me a different lesson, and that was more about myself and Him rather than my past and, and painful stuff. It was more about wrestling with him in the wilderness and that was the equally profound experience but but this one is is definitely special to me and I think the most powerful god moment in all of that would be when I realized you know after the first time I had blacked out just how bad of a situation I was in and then hearing his voice speak to me over the fear and then over the worry and feeling how profound that was was just an incredibly special thing you know knowing i i had such a huge challenge ahead but that i wasn't in it alone was more meaningful than i can describe yes and it has been amazing to get to hear your story um kind of going from this is there any life lesson or encouragement that you would have for our listeners Um, whether it's something if they end up in a dire situation or just having the courage to trust God and face their fears? Yeah, absolutely. I think my encouragement would be stop running from the stuff that hurts you, you know, from the stuff that is uncomfortable, because I did that for so long, Uh, you know, just reframing and figuring out you know, little jujitsu moves to avoid taking responsibility and to avoid sitting with the pain because we really don't like to sit with pain. Um, you know, and, and that I think is, is some of the bravest stuff you can do to actually not just reflexively withdraw from pain and run away and run to, you know, coping mechanisms or distractions, but to actually sit with this and say, why is this making me feel this way? Why is this making me respond this way? And then inviting God into that moment and asking him, what do you want to teach me through this? You know, what do you want to show me through this? Uh, It's very difficult to do, but I think that there is a stronger and a healthier version of you on the other side of that. And it's absolutely worth going through. Amen. Well, Joe, we have really appreciated hearing your story on our podcast, um, and I want to encourage our listeners to check out your book and your podcast as well. Um, how can they connect with you outside of this episode? 
Yeah, you can check out my podcast, which is uh, way more lighthearted and fun uh, <laughs> than this. It's a Parks and Recreation Rewatch podcast. It is a blast. I make it with my co-host, Joy. It's the Parks and Rewatch podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram at the Joe Patterson. Well, I will make sure to put links to that information in the description below. But Christian Travelers, I'm so glad that you have been able to listen to these episodes from Joe. And um, I know it has been one crazy adventure after another as we've been listening to his story. Thank you so much for tuning in for these past four weeks. I encourage you to go subscribe to his podcast channel and also go check out his book. Um, It is one heck of a story. He has another one as well, and hopefully we'll get to hear that from him someday down the road. But until then, safe travels. Uh, Learn from Joe and be prepared, but also face those things with courage. And God bless.